All right, welcome to the conversation. Really interesting guest for you guys. Catherine Hayo is not only chief scientist for the Nature Conservancy, she's the author of Saving Us. She's also a professor at Texas Tech, but and the host of PBS's digital series Global Weirding. But she's also climate ambassador for the World Evangelical Alliance. Interesting, Catherine. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. All right, great. So first. Now let's start there. I'm sure you get asked about this all the time. Evangelicals, I would assume that a high percentage of them are not interested in climate change or fixing it. Am I wrong about that? You are right in the United States, where many people get their statement of faith primarily from their politics and only secondarily from the Bible. There is a lot of climate denial among white evangelical Protestants and among white Catholics. But if you look outside the United States there, many people of faith, the Christian faith and other faiths are in fact leading the way on climate change. And just last week, the Pope, the Patriarch of the Orthodox Church and the Archbishop of Canterbury released a joint statement on the urgency of climate action. Yeah, so unfortunately climate change like almost everything else in America has become not just politicized, everything's politicized, but become part of the culture wars. And so it makes it very difficult to convince conservatives, hey, maybe we should keep the planet. So how do you go about doing that? Because obviously you're evangelical, you're part of the alliance, you talk to folks like this all the time. Is there anything that gets through them? Yes. But you're right, climate change is not only politically polarized, it's been at the very top of the most polarized issues in the country since the Obama administration. So in many ways, if we can connect on climate change, what else could we connect on if we can connect on such a contentious issue? And here's the secret. If we begin conversations from the heart rather than the head, if we agree with something, if we begin with something we agree on rather than something we disagree on, if we can figure out what it really makes that person tick, what's at the top of their priority list, connect the dots to how climate change is affecting it, and always talk about positive constructive solutions that they could get on board with. That's how a lot of the resistance can evaporate. And sometimes, you know what, we don't even have to mention the words climate and change. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, our time just ran out. The plant's gonna explode. I saw her there on the phone. Um, okay, no. That was my timer for the planet exploding. You just heard it. Yeah, well, there it is. The I mean, if that doesn't motivate people to action, I don't know what will. Um, okay, no, seriously. Um, Catherine, I hear you. And, and okay, you know what? I'm intrigued. So tell me, um, I think it's gonna break down because when you go to vote, they're gonna use the word climate change and everybody's gonna run screaming from the building. But it's okay, I wanna be optimistic. Give me an example, how would you do it? What do you mean from the heart? How would you mean connect to them on a thing that they care about? Well, in terms of voting, what you need is you need the Republican politicians to stand up, put on the big boy pants and say, yes, a thermometer doesn't give us a different answer depending on how we vote. Climate is changing, it's here and now. And you know what, I'm gonna propose free market solutions. I'm gonna propose right wing solutions. I'm gonna propose solutions that are consistent with my values. That's what we need Republican politicians to do. Because a hurricane does not ask who you voted for before it floods your home. Catherine. How do we get to that? Sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. Look, I'm an optimistic person in general, but there's a 0% chance Republican politicians are going to do that. But I'm sorry, I interrupted. You were going to tell us how, which I can't wait for this. 
<laughs> well, first of all, there are some politicians who have already done that. There is a bipartisan climate solutions caucus in both Congress and the Senate to talk about climate change solutions using those words. And you can only join if you join with somebody from the other party. So it's 50-50. So believe me, those brave women and men really do exist. And what they need is they need people in their districts to support them. And so that's why each of us has such an important role to play, not in changing our light bulbs or recycling, but rather in using our voices to advocate for change at every level, not just the federal level. A lot of politics and a lot of action is local. Our city, our state, the place where we work, an organization that we're part of. Using our voice to advocate for change at every table we sit on, so to speak, is the single most effective thing that we as individuals can do. So Catherine, how is it effective? Can you tell me about, have numbers moved on this in terms of public polling? What have we done that has affected this issue? Yes, a new poll just came out today showing that record numbers of Americans are worried about climate change now. Over 70% are worried and over 55% agree that Americans are being harmed today by the impacts of a changing climate. So you know those numbers include Republicans as well as Democrats. I helped to co-found an organization called Science Moms that's for moms who care about climate change because 86% of moms in this country are worried about climate change. And that includes a lot of Republican moms too. How has the world changed before? The world has changed before in very profound ways. Think of slavery, civil rights, women getting the vote, apartheid. It didn't change because the biggest slave owners were convicted to free their slaves. It didn't change because the United, the President of the United States decided to give women the vote, just woke up one day and said, oh, I gotta let those women vote. It didn't, apartheid didn't go away because the President of South Africa decided it had to. Change started when Small people, people with no particular power or wealth or fame use their voices to talk about how the world can and should and must be different. They banded together, now we know a few of their names, but who were the thousands of others who supported them? We don't know who they were today, but they were there too using their voices. That's how the world has changed before and it has to change again. Right, so Catherine, you're preaching to the choir, if you will, on that one. So we love to engage our audience. We ask them to participate in politics and change all the time. We're even building a change machine. That's for a topic for a different day. And so I love to do that, and it's made a giant difference. No one believed in just Democrats. Our audience helped to put 10 just Democrats in Congress. So I've seen miracles happen with my own eyes. But there's got to be a step two. Okay, you engage them. And then you have to have a realistic strategy for change. So you use South Africa as an example, I'll stay with that one. We had a lot of folks that participated both in South Africa and outside of South Africa. And then we said, we're doing economic boycott and we're gonna break the back of all of your businessmen who actually are the most powerful people in the country until you come to heal, right? So that's the realistic, not so kind part of actually getting to change. And in our case, in America, our number one problem is not apartheid. Our number one problem is corruption. Those Republican politicians you're talking about are almost all crooks, flat out crooks. By the way, not just Republicans, a lot of Democratic politicians are crooks. Cinema just took a million dollars from people to kill climate change legislation. It's brazen, absolutely brazen, as corrupt as you can possibly imagine. So. At some point, we gotta take that wonderful positive energy of the people and use it to break the backs of our politicians who are completely corrupt. That's my point of view, how do you respond mm-hmm. to that? Mm-hmm. 
It makes me grateful I'm not a US citizen to be totally honest, I'm Canadian <laughs> and we have a price on carbon. And so if you're talking about a policy mechanism, a policy mechanism that hits people in the pocketbooks. And I'm not talking about individual people, I'm talking about the 90 companies responsible for two thirds of this entire problem. Two thirds of heat trapping gases produced since the dawn of the industrial era come from 90 companies. And it is no accident when you go to the list of the wealthiest corporations in the world, you see some very similar names. So putting a price on carbon is one thing that might be possible because it has bipartisan support in the US. And it would basically say, sure, you wanna produce carbon, produce it, but you have to pay for the actual damages. So that's the type of mechanism I think you're talking about like a step two. And there's organizations, for example, like Citizens Climate Lobby that are all about engaging all concerned citizens to have these conversations with politicians across the political spectrum to say, here's a bipartisan solution that we need. Okay. Just as one example. So we just solved the mystery. You're Canadian. Um, okay. <laughs> no wonder you're evangelical and make sense, and uh, and are not part of the culture wars, and uh, believe in science, and are a pleasant person and optimistic. All the mysteries are solved. Okay. Now, but now moving back. Look, on the politicians, leave that one to me. Uh, we're gonna break them, and and some of it is gonna be pleasant, some of it is gonna be unpleasant. But the bribery is killing the entire planet. They just flat out give them checks and then the politicians and any hope of climate change legislation. Corrupt Democrats, corrupt Republicans, they do it 24 seven. We must break them politically, okay? But now I wanna go back to your optimism because I love it. And so help me connect to conservatives better. Give me one or two, because look, here in America, they're knuckleheads. They think we're gonna ban hamburgers and planes. And so how do you reach them? How do you give one or two ways where you go, where they go, oh, okay, I get it? Well, I would actually start by saying they're not knuckleheads. They've heard this from people they trust. So it isn't a case of intelligence or education, it's a case of tribalism. We believe people who share our values. So I participated in a project where we made four short videos. I made one as a Christian, we had one from a retired Air Force general, we had one from a two-time former Republican congressman, Bob Inglis, and we had one from someone who heads a libertarian think tank. Each short video talked about why climate solutions make sense from their perspective. And then some researchers from Yale University aired them in purple markets. So they aired them in a couple of different markets where they're Republicans and Democrats, and they just put them on social media. And then they just tracked Republicans' opinions on climate change in that district. There was a significant change in their opinion when they were exposed to climate solutions messaging that began with a frame that they agreed with and they valued and they shared. I love that, that's the correct answer, totally. Tribalism is unfortunately correct, that is exactly what's going on. Approaching them with either a person or a message that they already agree with or are familiar with, totally agreed, and then shift the conversation. Our problem, our number one problem, Catherine, in America is that our, our media is, well, there's two problems. They're the, they're the twin towers, I talk about it on TYT all the time. One is the money, as I explained earlier, and the other is the media. So our media for forever called it 50-50, it, it helped the oil companies manufacture doubt. And then there's this evil corporation called Fox News. Or at least the channel, and and they basically work for the people who are destroying this planet, and so they lie to their audience twenty four seven and poison their minds. And so we have, but all that notwithstanding, we still have to fix it. 
So we've got to find a way to reach people better than Fox News does in the conservative America, because we've got to unite. Otherwise, we're never going to beat the corruption and we're never going to actually heal the planet. And you and I are both optimists, so I think we can both do it, but it does need step one and step two and three. That's my take. I like it. Yes. Okay. All right. Wonderful. Everybody check out the book Saving Us, a climate scientist case for hope and healing in a divided world. And that hope and healing brought to you by Catherine Hayhoe. Thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. All right, back on the conversation. Max Burns is going to join us again. He's, of course, a national political columnist for the Daily Beast. Uh, he does a great job of writing about um, uh, politics in a real way there. Um, he's also a Democratic strategist and the founder of Third Degree Strategies. All right, Max, uh, you wrote about Mansion and Cinema and how they're holding up the entire Democratic agenda. Um, so let's get right to it. Uh, so um, we know, we all know now. Uh, what the overall lay of the land is. And then today from Pelosi, we found out a bunch of new things and I wanna talk that through with you. So as everybody remembers, there's two bills. Let's call it the a trillion dollar bill and the three and a half trillion dollar bill. The trillion dollar bill is the one that's backed by corporations and bipartisan. And the three and a half trillion dollar one is a more progressive, but Biden bill, right? And they're even calling it build back better yeah. now. So that means, boy, he's really taking ownership of it. That's good, okay? So in the house, they're saying, the progressives are saying you gotta get them both, otherwise we're not voting for the corporate back one, okay? Now today Pelosi came out and said, we're gonna vote on both on Thursday and they're gonna pass. Okay, now Max, it looks like they're switching the rules on us. It looks like Pelosi before was seeming to agree with progressives that the three and a half trillion dollar one has to pass the Senate first, otherwise it's pointless. And then the House passes it, and then the House agrees to pass the tr the corporate one, right? But now it looks like what Pelosi's yeah, saying exactly. is now what Pelosi say, seems to be saying now is no, no, no. We'll both pass our pass both versions, the one trillion and the three and a half trillion one, at the same time from the House, and hope that the Senate passes the three and a half trillion dollar one. Am I misreading that? Because that seemed like what she was saying. No, this has been a bit of a concerning backpedal here. The plan originally was for this to pass through the Senate, for the Senate to do its job and bring the House legislation. And it's important to note that it's not progressives putting the House or Biden in this position. This is the progressives pushing Joe Biden's agenda. It was Joe Biden's initial preference to have the Senate pass these both and have them both voted on together in the House. That was the way this process was supposed to work. And progressives, I think, are rightfully concerned that if they step forward on this in the House, that the Senate is just going to make all of that work for nothing. And given the way the Senate's behaved, that's a very reasonable concern to have. No, no, there's like, okay, Max, so you're more connected to Washington and the media, etc. So Everybody understands that voting for it in the the three and a half trillion, I'm sorry, the one trillion dollar version, the bipartisan infrastructure plan. Yeah. Voting for that in the House means that we're definitely not going to get the three and a half trillion dollar one. Do the progressives understand that? You think in Congress, there's no way Mansion and Cinema are going to let it pass. It's all a giant, obvious ambush. Does everybody in Washington know that, or are they still pretending? Oh, the Senate's going to do good work on it, and eventually they'll pass it. 
Oh no, progressives certainly know that. We saw just today there was an op-ed with Elon Omar, Katie Porter, Congressman Jayapal, pointing out that this is not the agreement that progressives made, that their votes should not be taken for granted on this. That they were promised a certain way of doing this process and they will not have the rug pulled out from under them. And I think progressives have made a very strong line that the White House certainly takes seriously and has tried to reassure them on this. But it's for the best that someone is at least pushing to have real progressive things included in these bills. And no question about that. So Pelosi then says that they're that the trillion dollar one is gonna pass the house. She says, I would not bring it to a vote if I didn't think it was gonna pass. Well, either the progressives are going to fold or she doesn't know what she's doing or she has secret Republican votes that she's gonna use to pass it instead. So which of those three do you think it is? And that's a real possibility. The the third part especially only that Republicans have by and large started backing away from their support of the bipartisan infrastructure bill. It's doubtful now that that even a fraction who originally signed on to this will still vote for it. I mean, the House is whipping votes against it as we speak. So this may be a position where Nancy Pelosi is simply thinking that the progressives are not serious on this line. And I think she is badly mistaken if that's the case. Ghana, it's. I am almost never surprised in politics. It, the politics is actually super simple. Just see who has more money, they win 100% of the time. Okay, but in this case, I, I mean, because look, let's break down those three options. I think that it's a joke that Pelosi is a master legislator. I think she's passed almost nothing of import other than a Heritage Foundation written healthcare plan when they had overwhelming majorities. So, but it's true that she cares a lot about her own record and legacy, etc. So she's very unlikely to say it's gonna pass unless she has the votes. So that is very unusual. So if she's mistaken about having the votes, that would be fairly unprecedented, right? That would be, and it would be very embarrassing for her. What I know from from those I've spoken to on the Hill, members of the Progressive Caucus, there is very little mood right now for further compromise. They feel like they've been to the White House, they've laid out their case again to the President. They've again tried to bring moderates on board and it's moderates who are backing away. This is a situation where progressives feel they've given up enough. And I've not really heard even whispers within the Progressive Caucus of people breaking away from what has been put forward. So that would shock me quite a bit. So either it's going to be shocking that it turns out Pelosi didn't know what she was doing on the whip count and gets embarrassed. And that's the last thing she wants to be because that's a standard politician like her. Her reputation in Washington is the thing she cares most about by an order of magnitude. So either that's gonna happen on Thursday and we're all gonna be surprised by that. Or progressives are gonna buckle after they said a thousand times that they wouldn't. And that is going to be also relatively shocking. And I mean, it'll be an apocalypse on the progressive side if they do that. I mean, they will lose their base completely. The base will be furious. I don't know if they understand how furious they would be, right? 
or the third oh, option. Yeah, it would be apocalyptic. Yeah. Or the third option, so already those two options are like, whoa, both of those would be unbelievable, right? The only option remaining is Pelosi goes, ah, progressives, I was just messing with you the whole time. I've got my Republican buddies, Cheney and Kinzinger, etc. And they're gonna ride to the rescue here, and we're gonna call it bipartisan. We're gonna just pass the corporate version. And then maybe we get, we'll pass the three and a half trillion one, but not three and a half as she explained, but lower in the house. But it's all a joke anyway, the sense never gonna pass it. And we're done with you people. The more we talk about it, the more I fear that that's the most likely outcome. And the joke in that case would be on Pelosi to have stabbed progressives in the back on this. Progressives, I think we can feel confident they have little reason to back down because the positions they're pushing for in this bill are wildly popular, 60%, 70% approval. In some cases, some of these spending areas have support of Republicans as well as Democratic voters. This is a position where progressives are trying to bring the Democratic Party to a winning position. And if Nancy Pelosi tries to moderate her way out of that, that'll be for her loss and the Democratic Party's loss. Yeah, but they've been playing that game for 20 years. I'm telling you, the more we talk about it, the more that sounds like, Oh yeah, I should say 40 years. Um, that that's the that's the path that that makes that fits the pattern of Washington far better than the other two options that we talked about. So then let's talk about this. Is anybody talking about writing about how many Republicans there are that would vote for this? The the corporate backed one. Um, do they do they and if. Jayapal said they have 50 progressives willing to vote no. I would be shocked by that number. Do we know what the actual number of progressives are? So I've looked into this a little bit, specifically on the Republican side. There were Republicans in the problem solvers caucus, as they call it. It's a moderate or conservative front group that provides cover for essentially conservative Democrats to stall the Democratic agenda. And a lot of those problem solver Republicans initially supported the Biden infrastructure plan. They've now almost universally withdrawn their support. So if Pelosi's pulling Republican votes on this, it's coming from somewhere other than that, which is why I'm skeptical that she has those. As far as the progressives, if they're breaking ranks, so far nobody has said so publicly or given any indication to the press in DC that that there was any kind of disunity in the message. So that's that's either very good messaging or very good unity. It's the first drama in 20 years of doing the Young Turks where I'm not positive what's gonna happen. So Thursday, it seems like Pelosi should lose the vote. But she she's right that she never brings it up unless she's already knows she's gonna win because that would be embarrassing. If she doesn't lose the vote, that means one of two terrible things happen. Either the progressives crumbled and and their base hates them for a long, long time, or Pelosi betrayed them. And all right, so then let's stay on that because again, that's by far the most likely outcome. So last question: If the if Pelosi screws over the progressives and doesn't deal with the Republicans, and they never pass. The larger bill. I mean, they again passing it through the house means nothing. Okay, and she says, "Well, what, what, what? I passed it through the house." Uh, do you think progressives will finally get the message that Pelosi is not on their side? 
I think they will. And I think that it will be a hugely unfortunate thing to project to the country. Which, like I said, largely supports these progressive positions. To say that Democrats would rather work with Republicans who want to gut almost everything the Build Back Better agenda stands for in order to get something passed that will then be gutted beyond passability in the Senate. This willingness to abandon and silence and sort of marginalize progressives, even as they're working harder than anyone else to pass this agenda, baffles me. And it really is a mistake that Democrats are making to just leave votes on the table. Yeah, no, now I'm almost positive she's gonna get Republicans. That's the mistake they've been making for 40 years. That fits into a pattern. The other two do not yeah. fit into a pattern. So we'll find out on Thursday. All right, Max Burns wrote about this at the Daily Beast. You should check it out. He's a smart guy, as you can tell here, and has got good information from DC. Max, thank you for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you.